welcome everybody to a new episode of Perspective. And, um, you know, stuff happens. So we decided that since a lot of stuff have happened, we will repeat the politics episode. Yeah, exactly. So because we need all, a place to vent. Welcome, welcome <laughs> to all of you. Thank you so much for being with us again. And uh, it's funny because when we recorded the first uh, perspective on dear politicians uh that was uh, the name the title of the episode a couple of days after we recorded so many things happened it was a it storm was, yeah. of so <laughs> we thought that we absolutely should keep on going mostly because we had some more anger to vent uh so it's uh, very egotistical on our part but it's also i think important to stress some things that we have already stressed in that episode and um since one of the things we tried to focus on that episode was this idea that we need to be united instead of dividing ourselves because we are afraid of each other i would really really like to read to you guys this beautiful but terrible poem by uh, Worsenshire. So Worsenshire is this amazingly talented writer. She uh, lives in Britain, if I'm uh, correct. And um, this is a poem entitled Home. And it goes, No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Your neighbors running faster than you, breath bloody in their throats. The boy you went to school with who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. No one leaves home unless home chases you, fire under feet, hot blood in your belly. It's not something you ever thought of doing until the blame burnt threats into your neck. And even then you carried the anthem under your breath, only tearing up your passport in an airport toilets, sobbing as each mouthful of paper made it clear that you wouldn't be going back. You have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one burns their palms under trains beneath carriages. No one spends days and nights in the stomach of a truck, feeding on newspaper unless the miles traveled means something more than journey. No one crawls under fences. No one wants to be beaten, pitied. No one chooses refugee camps or strip searches where your body is left aching or prison because prison is safer than a city of fire. And one prison guard in the night is better than a truckload of men who look like your father. No one could take it. No one could stomach it. No one's skin would be tough enough. The go-home blacks, refugees, dirty immigrants, asylum seekers, sucking our country dry, niggers with their hands out, they smell strange, savage, messed up their country and now they want to mess ours up. How do the words, the dirty looks, roll off your backs? Maybe because the blow is softer than a limb torn off. Or the words are more tender than 14 men between your legs. Or the insults are easier to swallow than rubble, than bone, than your child body in pieces. I want to go home, but home is the mouth of a shark. 
Home is the barrel of the gun, and no one would leave home unless home chased you to the shore, unless home told you to quicken your legs, leave your clothes behind, crawl through the desert, wade through the oceans, drown, save, be hunger, beg, forget pride. Your survival is more important. No one leaves home until home is a sweaty voice in your ear saying, Leave. Run away from me now. I don't know what I've become, but I know that anywhere is safer than here. And that was Warson Shire for you, this amazingly talented woman. And uh, I think that uh, if uh, every single person on the earth read this poem, maybe they wouldn't feel the way they do towards all those people they think are invading their countries, especially in the European Union. And uh, since we're talking about peoples who believe that they are being invaded, let's talk about Hungary a little bit, because (laughs) it's amazing, really. It was absolutely incredible how a couple of days after we recorded the first, the episode on uh, on Magda's letter, uh, Dear Politicians, the European Parliament voted to basically sanction Hungary. How did it happen? I mean... Basically, there is this article in the European Treaty saying that if a country, a member country of uh, the European Parliament is effectively a threat to European uh, values and principles, the other member states can take action towards that country. It's not supposed to be um, concerning economic sanctions. It's more a diplomatic measure. (laughs) But it's basically a symbolic measure to say, hey, listen, we're not liking what you're doing. Yeah. um, uh, uh, Articles. These articles are bane of my existence since that would be year and a half. Because we are threatened by the Article 7 um, quite a long time, which um, it's never fun. No, because basically it means that they are reprimanding you for not being a democratic country. Yeah, which, you know, we are technically we are democratic. Republic, which (laughs) that technically is a very... Very valid in the recent years because sometimes I feel like the democratic doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, what I had an interesting conversation with uh, one of the people in my association once is uh, the person said that every system has its pluses and minuses, every system has advantage and disadvantage. Even what we consider the worst one being the tyranny, the dictatorship, it has its pluses, it has its minuses. What he doesn't like is when somebody is saying one thing, so we are a democratic country, but is ruling like he's a dictator of the country. This is what he doesn't like. Because, and I have to agree in some way because it's true every system was designed because there was need for it meaning there was advantage of having the system but if i'm the ruler of the world and i'm saying yes it's a democratic 
word. Everybody has a say. Every vote counts. But then I'm doing whatever the hell I want. Of course, people will be angry. Of course. And I think that... So we need to quote this beautiful article that Magda has uh, sent me. A Vox article. A Vox article actually entitled... It happened there, column, How Democracy Died in Hungary, <laughs> by Zach Beauchamp. And uh, it's a beautiful... At comma art. after Hungary and Poland. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I hate I, to say this, but... <laughs> it's true that, I mean, we can take these two countries to be an example of how democracy has effectively died. And basically the whole point of this article is to show through interviews of people that are inside the, especially the government uh, party and in general of uh, politics and um, high high level politics in Hungary, that democracy doesn't exist anymore. Or, I don't know, honestly, has it ever existed? Because before this, there was the Soviet Union. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not like you can... Uh, well, we democratically chose our government. So, you know, and there's that's that. that's the point, you know. I mean, if you just think about it, both Hitler and Mussolini went to power because people a voted. big majority of people, especially Hitler in Germany, voted for them. I mean, they were democratically elected. So you can't say that Hitler was a democratic leader in some way. It's the same thing for Orban. Orban has won the elections. At least until now, nobody has come up with accusation of bribes or of rigged elections. So he was elected really because the majority of the people voted for him. The problem is that he was voted by the majority of the people because the people had no access whatsoever to the opinion of opponents. <laughs> so do yeah, you call that you know, a democratic process yeah. or not. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's the same in uh, Poland. I don't know about now, but it used to be that uh, the nationwide channels, so you can get them for free almost everywhere. I'm not saying, of course, in the middle of the woods, but almost every village had access to them. It was the national TV uh, three channels, channel one, channel two, and regional channel. So they were focusing only on the, or your region. And I remember watching the news because um, also for the evening, there was uh, bedtime stories at uh, seven and at 7.30 there was news. So when I got older to, old enough to understand news and also old enough to not have to go at 7.30 to sleep, I would also watch the news because my parents wanted to watch the news. So like the big thing. But at the same time, I was too small to actually understand half of the things, especially politic wise. But I remember at that time that the news were actually representing something, not just the, the government, but actually giving you a nice variety of topics they were covering but with the party that is in power right now, there were changes in the network because, uh, for example, some anchors said that they will not say certain things on the air because it's not how it should be. This is not the news, the, the true news. So they get quietly fired. 
or the top was also changed because they were not suitable for the party. And right now, news on that network is government-based news, yeah. putting the government exactly the like best here in Hungary. Yeah. So then there is a question. So what happens if you don't look at other things, if you don't read, especially if you don't read in English? Of course. Yeah. Because I would say that the majority of news I got throughout the last two years, it's not from Polish-based websites. Yeah. It may be from Polish journalists, but not working in Poland. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, so what do I do? Because I can do more, but if somebody doesn't know English... Or any other foreign language, of course, it's kind of hard. You know, it always... For me, it's really interesting, this idea of unity and division. So in general, fascist... Uh, regimes and uh, dictatorships or in general autocratic governments always have this aim to create the wider possible majority of electorate. To do that, you need to exclude from the public conversation everybody who doesn't think like you. So people will not have anything to compare your opinion with. And um, it's funny how... You want to create unity in the sense that you want to build this big hub where everybody gets inside. But at the same time, limiting the yeah. amounts of opinions. Yeah. And uh, that for me is really very interesting. And in general, this idea that in order for you to captivate the largest number of votes and of consensus, you need to violently exclude from the public discussion and from public visibility a certain number of categories it can be whatever i mean could be jews if you're in nazi germany but also if you're in hungary yeah i mean now jews just think about shorosh he's a jew so no absolutely um the jews it could be the migrants it could be the liberals it could be the intellectuals the journalists whatever you name it You choose who you want to be against and <laughs> that's it, you know? Yeah. So it's um, it's really interesting for me to see how to create something that looks united. You basically need to dumbfound everybody and to kill off all the ones who will come in your way. You know kill what's... Off literally or figuratively, yeah, of course. It's for, for me, what's interesting... So yesterday, Vox put out a video which I was so happy to see <laughs> if you can read my sarcasm it's on like above the roof right now um, the video is titled if I remember correctly why Poland is fretting the EU and it's explaining how Poland got to the place that it's now and what was interesting for me to see because I was not interested in politics um, in like politics is my hobby. I always call it because I'm not working with it much um, like past two, three years. So everything that happened before, I don't really know about because I was not reading and it's very hard to go back into the history of things. And in that video they showed because I remember that there was a um, before 
this government, there was another government, liberal, more left uh, government, and the leader of this government, he is right now working in European Parliament. He left Poland. Uh, at the beginning, if I remember correctly, he left because they needed a representative in Brussels, but he stayed and he's now employed by the Brussels, not by Poland. And what video pointed out when moment he left, because he was working in coalition with other parties, but when he left, that coalition fell down because there was not a right person to lead them. And because the coalition fell down, they couldn't have the votes they needed. So the party that is ruling now, and I would like to notice that they are ru ruling alone. They don't need anybody. <laughs> they got 39% of votes, which is a lot in Poland. You need 5% to get into our parliament. So, you know, and because he left... The byproduct of his decision is that we have this government right now. Of course, also, this is not the main thing that happened because then there's the migrant crisis in Europe and the European Union making the decision and the Brexit and all of the things. So it's a domino effect that you are not able to predict before. So it. I think it's the same in Hungary. Yeah. There was a domino effect where something must have happened a couple of years ago. And I would say it's around five, six years ago that it just tripled down slowly into the big thing. And now because people don't have access to a lot of opinions and information. And also the Hungarian language is so difficult and nothing like any other language so knowing the different language is one thing completely. Actually being able to communicate with this, it's a completely different matter of in course. here. Yeah. So then you are just stuck with the opinions of the TV and press that is now. If the press is to some degree controlled by the government, then you have the domino effect yeah. of having... Orban as a yeah. prime minister. like yeah. <laughs> You know, the article that you sent me stated that 90% of information in Hungary is controlled by the state or by Fidesz-affiliated Essentially by him. 90%. And of course, the 10% that still exist are ridiculed by the 90% that are state-controlled or Orban-controlled in general. So... This is a problem, you know, and it's funny because it reminds me. So in Italy, we're not at this point in the sense that in Italy, it still makes sense to be a journalist. There is still a free press, more or less. And um, it was the last month there was this um, event in Trieste. So Trieste is a very beautiful city and... Um, the mayor of the city belongs to our dear prime minister's uh, party, which is a fascist party in all respects, in my opinion. And um, so in Trieste, which is on the sea, but it also has the mountains. So 
go. This is tourist information. I'm <laughs> trying to spam you with information about that place because it's beautiful. Um, every year for 60 years or 50 years, they've been having this uh, boat race. It's called La Barcolana. And uh, it's very famous in Italy. It's been it's a traditional thing. They do it every year. It's beautiful. It's there in the Gulf. Everybody's happy. Good. And uh, the major sponsor for it is the Illy family. So Illy, for those of you who drink coffee, may be a familiar name because it's probably the best Italian coffee brand, according to my mom, who is a coffee lover. And... Um, And they are originally from Trieste. And Illy is a family that has also based the um, promotion of their products thanks to a great love for contemporary art. They were famous because every year they issued these um, limited edition uh, coffee mugs uh, with art from contemporary artists. So they have been really interested in contemporary art and in general in funding cultural events. And this, La Barcolana, is one of them. So they are a major sponsor. And they asked none other but Marina Abramovic, so not, you know, the unknown contemporary artist. She's probably the best known contemporary artist and probably the greatest living artist right now to create um, a poster design for this edition of La Barcolana. And she came up with this poster where she is holding a flag, and this flag says, where you can read, we're all in the same boat. Beautiful poster. I think also design-wise, it's very beautiful. The and message is very there nice. There is effing Marina Abramovic in the poster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not... It's not crumbs, okay? It's important. It's really great for visibility, for publicity. And the message is also very beautiful because, I mean, Trieste is a sea city. So they have this connection with the sea and uh, the idea, this universal message is very poetic, very beautiful and also true, also very political. The mayor has uh, was not happy with this. <laughs> Why I'm not, not surprised. But the problem was not that he was not happy. Because it can be okay. I mean, yeah, you can also say, I don't like this because this uh, goes against the principles of my fascist party, quite obviously. The problem is that the mayor said, he basically threatened the Illy family to not to give any permissions for the, um, the boat race to take place if they didn't change the poster. So I call that blackmail and I call that abuse of power. You cannot do something like that in a democratic country. If art and in general, free thinkers, journalists, whatever, cannot express their opinion through whatever they do create, if it's articles or art or whatever, I, I, we are starting to get towards, you know, Very Orban. dangerous territory. Okay? The moment you censor, you, you put a censorship on things like this, on art, and in general on the freedom of opinion, that is a problem. So this, for me, is uh, 
a real indication that we are going back to some kind of dictatorial, <laughs> dictatorial. I would idea. say unhealthy dictatorial. Yeah, absolutely. Because I agree. Like I said, or like I mean, I remember that. I don't know. It depends on the society you're in. But honestly, if I were the ruler of the world, of course, democracy is a very, very flawed system. Because the moment that your citizens are not adequately educated to make a critical, informed choice, then democracy will not work. Of course. No, that's interesting point you made because once a long, long time ago we were recording a word politics program for the radio we are both working in, and we had, and of course, like in word politics, we would cover some kind of politics-related news. Of course, there was always one news from Donald Trump because how can you not? And I. Because I didn't have any proper articles that I wanted to talk about in depth. But I found a very genius quote, question, debate-ish conversation thing, which essentially was a question. Are we educated enough to vote? I don't think that is the case in many, many because places for the, many people. Because the guy who, who posed that question, he said that right now we are looking at a phenomenon that it's quite dangerous and amazing at the same time of tribal politics. Meaning that because I am coming from this family, I need to vote for Republican Party. This was, for example, for USA. Or because I am um, black, gay, American citizen, I need to vote for Democratic Party. Or because uh, my family, my friends, my put something here is this, I need to vote for this. It's not I choose to vote for this. And with this tribal politics, we are going to a very dangerous territory of where will be the change? Of course. When that change will happen? Because if there are certain families who are very powerful families will vote always for this because we need to vote for this because we are supporting, we are connected, we are this and that. What if I don't agree with the things that the party is representing? And I feel, because... After listening to that conversation, I started thinking about the situation in Poland. And there is that kind of mentality in the fact that, oh, because my family is voting for this, I should vote for this. It's not so hard set yet. I Mm -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm. But don't take my word for granted. I was not in my country for 12 months. (laughs) That there might be that push towards yeah. but not you need to Absolutely. they're not hammering you down yeah but at the same time i know i will not um, start certain topics in my family because i know towards what part of politics my family is uh, more going to so i will yeah. just keep quiet Absolutely. with certain things because i don't want to have a civil war in my family <laughs> over a stupid thing. So 
I would say Poland right now is on that verge of the tribal politics that we are seeing. And I think it's not just Poland. I think it's I for sure Hungary as well. I agree. Yeah. Also, because the interesting thing is that this kind of tribal politics happens, especially in places where you have parties which are very long lived. I will explain myself better. Politics which are long-lived, and I will take as an example the United States. Democratic and Republican parties exist since the foundation of the United States. Of course, in uh, 200 and what whatever years, the scope and uh, the the aims of the two parties have changed. It's funny also to notice that at the beginning, when they were actually founded, that Republican Party was the more leftist and the Democratic Party was the more Look right. at the change now. It's amazing. <laughs> But even if it's not so radical, there are changes in the aims of political parties. And you know what? I'm going to quote uh, for you a passage from another Vox article that I found by Ezra Klein, which is entitled White Threat in a Browning America. And maybe if we have time, I would like to talk a little bit more about that. And in this article, it talks about basically the impact of demographics on politics and on political choices. And there is a passage that I find extremely interesting that goes... As America changes, so too do the issues America chooses to confront and the ways it chooses to confront them. In 1996, as President Bill Clinton swept the re-election, the Democratic Party platform included a section on immigration that sounds as if it could have been released by the Trump administration today. And he quotes, Today's Democratic Party also believes we must remain a nation of laws. We cannot tolerate illegal immigration and we must stop it. For years before Bill Clinton and became president, Washington talked tough but failed to act. In 1992, our borders might as well not have existed. The border was under-patrolled, and what patrols there were, were under-equipped. Drugs flowed freely. Illegal immigration was rampant. Criminal immigrants deported after committing crimes in America returned the very next day to commit crimes again. President Clinton, Bill, Clinton is making our border a place where the law is respected and drugs and illegal immigrants are turned away. We have increased the border patrol by over 40%. In El Paso, our border patrol agents are so close together they can see each other. Last year alone, the Clinton administration removed thousands of illegal workers from jobs across the country. Just since January of 1995, we have arrested more than 1,700 criminal aliens and prosecuted them on federal federal felony charges because they returned to America after having been deported. Unquote. Fast forward to the 2016 Democratic Party platform. Another Clinton was running for president, but the party was much more reliant on Hispanic votes. He quotes, Democrats believe we need to urgently fix our broken immigration system, which tears families apart and keeps workers in the shadows, and create a path to citizenship for law-abiding families who are here, making a better life for their families and contributing to their communities and our country. We will defend and implement President Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals and Deferred Action for Parents of Americans Executive Actions to help dreamers, parents of citizens, and law 
lawful permanent res residents avoid deportation. We will build on these actions to provide relief for others, such as parents of dreamers. D-R-E-A-M. It's an acronym for that sort of, of immigrant, but um, we're not going to go in that, uh, in that in detail. He goes on quoting, We believe immigration enforcement must be humane and consistent with our values. We should prioritize those who pose a threat to the safety of our communities, not hardworking families who are contributing to their communities. We will end raids and roundups of children and families which unnecessarily sow fear in immigrant communities, unquote. In 1996, white voters were more closely split between the two parties. The Hispanic vote was smaller, and both parties were more skeptical of immigration. In 2016, white voters were concentrated in the Republican Party. Hispanic voters were far more powerful, and this cut a political schism in which Democrats became friendlier to immigrants and Republicans nominated Trump. This is a dynamic Tesla describes well. He quotes, in the post-civil rights era, Democrats needed to maintain their non-white base without alienating white voters, he says. So their incentive was silence, and Republicans needed to win over white voters without appearing racist. So their incentive was to speak about race in code. The shifts now have made it so Democrats' incentive is to make explicitly pro-racial equality appeals, and Republicans now have an incentive to make more explicit anti-minority appeals. Take that idea and extend it into the coming decades of American politics. The Democratic Party will not be able to win elections without an excited, diverse coalition. The Republican Party will not be able to win elections without an enthused white base. Democrats will need to build a platform that's even more explicit in its pursuit of racial and gender equality, while Republicans will need to design a politics even more responsive to a coalition that feels itself losing power. So you see that in just 20 years... They were going back and forth, essentially. Exactly. The language has changed so much, and I think that this kind of tribal politics cannot do good when the party itself is changing so much. If you think that Fides... Orban's party was actually a liberal party at the beginning when he created it, when he was a young political activist. He created Fides with the intent of getting Hungary outside of the Soviet influence and getting into the European Union because it, he shared the European values. And of course, because he wanted European funding. But, you know, let's yeah. talk about that. It's very hard to get out of Soviet um influence uh, while having Vladimir Putin as uh, the Britain founder. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just a side note of all of this. But yeah, like I then how different question because the society, of course, changes. You cannot stop that. Especially in America right now, they're uh, very much forced to see the future or even not that far future that the white population is slowly becoming smaller than non-white. We are meaning Hispanic, black, whatever that is not a Caucasian white. Yeah, the article I was quoting before by Klein um, he says, he quotes this uh, Census Bureau um, report, which stated that 
2013 marked the first year that a majority of U.S. infants under the age of one were non-white. Yeah. And he goes on stating demographic statistics, saying that the re- one of the reasons why so American politics verged towards someone like Trump is exactly because the white population felt threatened by the appearance of these um, non-white people. So then the question is how the party cannot change if the people are changing, because that also means that you will have new people in the party. And this is the well, is this the beauty of two party system? I don't know. But also because in Poland, we technically have multi-party system. I'm saying technically because for a majority of time, it's two parties exchanging power. And in the big races, in the smaller, more regional races, there are other parties that they're winning as well. But in the big, big race, it's usually two parties that you look at because the rest is not really that important. Well, the rest might be important if you want to do coalition. And then you need to look at everybody because then the coalition is gaining new votes in the parliament. And But then how do you make sure that the party, if the population is changing, the party will not change their values? Absolutely. And also, I must say that while in the United States, this change, this demographic change is real in the sense that statistics confirm that there is a growing uh, the racial identity of American citizens is not so white anymore. There is the problem in the European Union, and especially I will talk about Italy, where people think that this change has happened when it actually hasn't. Because this is absolutely incredible. So Italy, compared with Germany, France, uh, Germany and France especially, uh, is one of the European Union uh, countries where the least refugees stay. Okay, so... You are getting a lot of it, but you are not keeping a lot of it. Exactly, because most of them don't want to stay in Italy because Italy is not as rich as Germany or France, basically. Yeah. And it's amazing because so recently there was a book by Robert Duffy. He is an English statistic expert or something. And he his his book is entitled The Perils of Perception. And it's amazing because it's a study of um, 38 uh, countries that lasted for four years. And basically, he saw that Italy is one of the countries with the most distorted perception of reality. Italians, according to his studies, believe that 49% of Italians Uh, are unemployed when it's actually 12%, okay? And they believe that immigrants are 30% of the population when it's not even 5%. So you see how information and manipulated information is important because even when the change demographically is not real like it actually is in the United States... You can make people think that that it is... 
Isn't that incredible? The, in Italy, they believe that thirty percent of the population is an immigrant. It's not even five percent. Well, I would say that's very easy to do because you will be talking just about the numbers that coming into the country, but never mention the numbers that stay. Exactly. Which is simple enough to do, but then if you're not actually researching certain information, if you're not getting informed, <laughs> if you're not, but also sometimes because with this detail, which is very big detail, but it's a small thing to sometimes even forget Absolutely. about looking, because whenever like, I think of myself as having a very analytical mind. But sometimes even the analytical minds will forget about yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And okay, if you see the numbers like, oh, we received this many people, but you will not actually think of researching where these people went, if they stayed, if they go, if they were deported, if they moved to a different country, if they got their visas and traveled somewhere else, then you will have absolutely no idea. And it's the same for Hungary. Hungary has no immigrants. They don't accept immigrants. Same they have Poland. built a fence. They want like they have built a fence on their border with Serbia and with Croatia. And they want to keep building it on their border with Romania now. And, and they send the bill to European Union. Obviously, because they are protecting the European population from the invasion of When these... When I read that, God. I was just like, what? It feels like the Middle Ages, you know, the Crusades, when they were going to Jerusalem to fight off the Moors. It's the same yeah. thing, really. And they, like, when you walk in the streets of Hungarian cities, even if it's Budapest, you don't see brown people or you see like one odd brown person walking maybe in the streets of Budapest who's probably a tourist not a resident and they are the ones who believe who perceive that they are being invaded it's amazing how easy it is to make people feel threatened by what they don't know I would say granted I did not travel a lot to big cities and in Hungary in general. But it's very hard in Hungary to spot a person who could not belong to this country. It's very hard. There's no diversity here at all. There are center, certain groups who are here for Erasmus, for studies, for university. They will come to university, but they will go back. And this is the point that people sometimes don't understand. These are not the people who are coming here to stay. And usually, if people are coming here to stay, they look like you. So technically, you don't even know who is the migrant. I will not even mention the Hungarian minority in Romania, one of the biggest one in Europe. Because technically, if you look at it in that way, they coming to Hungary, they are migrants. Yeah, absolutely. But now Orban granted them citizenship. And you know, it's funny. Oh. It's really, really funny. Because again, you see how paradoxical this is. These people are people that have been quote-unquote migrants their whole existence 
because they were living in a country that wasn't theirs. They were they were a minority. They were speaking a language and they belonged to a culture that wasn't the same as the actual administration they were living in. Okay, so you would think they should understand the stakes of somebody who is migrating. Okay, after Orban granted them. Hungarian citizenship, 95%, I'm talking 95% of these people who were of Hungarian culture and language, who live outside of Hungary, voted for Orban. Of course. So, yeah, there is no logic here. (laughs) Don't look for it. (laughs) The logic is the logic of something that Italians are very, 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 very good to do, which is mafia. I give you a favor. I do you a favor. And in exchange, you will give a favor to me. That's how mafia works. Yeah. But that's not how you put people together. That's not how you create a future. And then we are surprised why Orban won the election. Because if you're granting, and something that you need to understand if you never knew this, the Hungarian minority in Romania, it's actually a big amount of people. It's not, we are not talking here about a thousand, few thousand people. This is a big, big minority because this used to be a Hungarian land. In the old times, well, old times, it's not that old, before the Second World War or First World War. I'm not... Both. It was before, a mix yeah. of both. Before the great shift of Europe, essentially, in the 20th century, that was their land. So, of course, there's a lot of people. So, it goes to this point. There are people who don't know Romanian there. I'm not saying they are not Hungarian. Okay, this is a Hungarian minority. Yeah, really not integrated into... But they are not integrated to the Hungary reality. So, and they actually normally also suffer from discrimination from their, be it Romania or Slovakia or Serbia, whatever. So they should understand, but they but, voted for Orban. Yes. So in 90, can you imagine 95%? I can't. how can you agree so much on because they gave he gave them citizenship that's it so they can freely travel and work in Hungary absolutely (sighs) um, uh, you know (laughs) I wanted since we're getting close to the end and I didn't want to finish with bad thoughts um, so and uh, we actually had already started doing this podcast. It was really the beginning because it was the 10th of April that this happened. And we had already started recording. We hadn't started uploading uploading and publishing, but we had already started recording. And that day was a very important anniversary because I have studied very deeply the history of the Republic of Ireland in the past and... Um, I remember that on that day, uh, I I came to the studio and I recorded an episode with Magda. No idea which one. I think one that was the first. first one. One of the first, definitely. And uh, I remember telling her about my dilemma that morning. I remember telling her that I had uh, seen some posters of the Hungarian uh, electoral campaign 
that, that were was also fun. Absolutely hateful, hateful, full of hatred. And uh, I had decided not to post an angry post on Facebook. I normally don't post things, personal thoughts on Facebook. But that time was, I was really angry and hurt and by how humanity can be horrible. And I told her that I wanted to focus instead on something else. And this is what I wrote on the 10th of April 2018. And that is going to be my last words. And... Um, This is what I wrote. I wrote, 20 years ago on this day, the Good Friday Agreement was signed in Belfast. There is a poem, a poem that, like every good poem, comes to end all poems. It's by Warson Shire, who is also the poet. I read the first poem to you at the beginning of this episode. And I cherish it as the most generous gift it was since the day my ever-enchanting professor, Irene de Angelis, offered it to us. For those of you who are interested, it is entitled What They Did Yesterday Afternoon. The ending lines go, Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, Where does it hurt? It answered, Everywhere. 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 I know I shared this link before, and it's a link to conversation between Padre Gotuma and um, Krista Tippett on the On Being podcast, if you want to look it up. And I also know that speaking on this platform is more like dissolving a drop of acrylic blue into a glass of water, rather than relieving a glass of acrylic blue with a drop of water. But I live in a continent that every day, not least yesterday with the results of the Hungarian election, strives to show how much it deserves to be abandoned. And I don't even want to start on all the other ways humanity is failing itself now and forever, again and again and again. Because you all know how it is, and I will just lose all sight of lucidity. Which is a good way. I didn't want to say I was going to start to cry, but that was what I, what I meant. What I want to say, I want to say it on this day, because for 20 years today, as limited as all these treaties are, in a small part of Europe where a sectarian war had been fought for the previous 30 years, people that had been literally bombing each other have wanted and managed to live in peace. People who used the worst kind of violence against literally their neighbor have moved collectively from a place where they were demonizing each other towards a place where they're not necessarily agreeing or loving each other, but where they're giving committed guarantees to the other's safety and finding ways in which they can say, This can be a place where our disagreements will happen in a tone that is wiser and in a tone that is safer. Padre Gotuma is a poet and theologian and is the community leader of Corimila, Northern Ireland's oldest peace and reconciliation organization. In this podcast I am sharing here, he reads this poem he wrote entitled The Northern of Ireland, another poem to end all poems, which goes, It is both a dignity and a difficulty to live between these names, perceiving politics in the syntax of the state. And at the end of the day, the reality is that whether we change or whether we stay the same, these questions will remain. Who are we to be with one another? And how are we to be with one another? And what to do with all those memories 
of all those funerals? And what about those present whose past was blasted far beyond their future? I wake, you wake, she wakes, he wakes, they wake, we wake, and take this troubled beauty forward. I don't know if this means anything to you. I just know that even if you're not a religious person, even if you've never heard of what happened in Northern Ireland and never even heard the name Good Friday Agreement, if for some of the overwhelmingly many reasons you can find you feel your heart heavy in these days, this will help. And I think I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I think that was the first episode that we had recorded. Yeah. Yeah, And this conversation you can find... It's entitled Belonging Creates and Undoes Us Both, which is in itself, it could be the title of this episode as well. Um, It's really worth listening to if you're interested. Yeah, but I remember that day. That was not a happy day. That was two days after election, one day after we knew the results. And I remember um, because for me, I am living a little bit outside of the city. Well, outside of the city center here in Nirechaza. And I need to go through city center, the main square, to go to work. It was so quiet. Like, in the morning, it's usually the busiest city because everybody needs to cross and there's a lot of shops also in the shops and there's a town hall and the library and all the major big things that you need to get to. It was so quiet. But yeah, election of Hungary. We will try to move on, um, hopefully to better things. There will be election in Poland soon, so, you know, we will see if the Vox will make another video of explaining why Poland is not a um, state member of European Union anymore. <laughs> I think they'll do the same for Hungary. Probably if they leave, they're going to leave together. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Like, there are parts where I agree maybe we should leave and leave the government to itself. Because I don't want you to leave. But at the same time, then I'm I am looking for yeah. a different citizenship. <laughs> so, you should apply, you know, for somebody to give you citizenship. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that's an option. I was thinking the UK, but then ah uh, no no no, that's not an option. Okay, so okay, the options are smaller and smaller, fewer and fewer. Oh. Yeah, that actually, there was um, my friend said that. I I should be Italian just the way I cook. Really? I, oh, I, yeah. I should apply for Italian citizenship, and it was I like laughing on basis of what? On your cooking skills. I would <laughs> vouch for you definitely. If you want, we can get married. Okay, there you go. No problem. So you can have the citizenship. And with that happy note, <laughs> you're all invited to Magda and my wedding so, in Italy or in Poland. We can do both. Oh, no, I don't think that you have same-sex marriages in Poland. Or no. do you? So, so maybe we should so. do it in Italy. In Italy, yeah. We don't have. We haven't had them for long, so I understand. <laughs> so. I think we have partnership, maybe, maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, on that happy note, we will finish this uh, horrible, horrible episode. <laughs>
we are very sorry, but like there sometimes are s- we need it. Sometimes we just need to vent. There's the moment when we can do an episode on happiness and be happy for an hour, and there is a moment when we need to vent about what is happening in politics world, especially in the European Union, because there are so many things happening. So, with that, we thank you for spending this um hopefully okay hour i will not say lovely this time uh so hopefully the okay hour was good and maybe you learned something new who knows we are always happy when you do and with this we thank you for spending this time with us and we will see you I will consistently saying see you, even <laughs> though this is an audio podcast, but we will see you next week, Friday, 10 a.m.